It's Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. Will Young here with you, along with uh, Mario and Luigi's Uncle Tony from the Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, hey, it's me, Uncle Tony. Uh, still waiting for that check in the mail. I'm to understand that the Mario Brothers movie was a massive box office smash. Let's see. Let's just see right now. Mario yeah, how many bi- How many billions are we up to at this point? Gross. Let's see here. Uh, 1.3 billion. Um, so hoping for my cut, fingers crossed, um, you know, for my uh, infamous portrayal of Uncle Tony. I, I had to bring it up because it's on digital this week. I watched it on Amazon Prime, and I was struck because, Lucas, I've just been I've been seeing the your Twitter and Instagram profile pic of Uncle Tony for the past couple of months, and it's in its all of its low res glory. And now I got to see it high res, <laughs> and it could not be clearer. It's there's some like there's some likeness rights that they are skirting past here. It's it's wild. It's it's like oh, that's my friend up on the screen. That's it's funny. My friends described the exact same feeling. They were like, "Oh, look! It's it's Mario, Luigi, and Lucas." <laughs> it's like when I saw you in like the Nitro in one of Nitro Rad's videos. I'm like, "I know that guy," and I yeah. literally had the same feeling of like, "Wait, wait a second! That guy's not real, though." <laughs> That's right. You shared the Glint music video for everyone on the Elwood City Limits Instagram. Yeah. Uh, and everybody watching that's like, "Wait a minute! There's Lucas from Elwood City Limits." Um, no, I don't think it's actually they stole my likeness. I think that's just what Italian people look like, Will. <laughs> I mean, that I I can't. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, but I mean, it, it was so uncanny. I, ha- I had to say it. And if, and uh, we had a, we had a bit of a thing going on the Patreon for a little while where we were reviewing uh, video game related movies. I don't think we're going to get to this one since Lucas saw it in theaters. And then like half a year later, I saw it on Amazon Prime and I don't have too much to say about it. I just wanted to kind of note that I have seen it. The the billion dollar plus uh, movie that will surely be uh, run into the ground with sequels over the next few years. Uh, I would say that, uh, I mean, if we want to do thoughts in short, I would say that uh, it's every, uh, I saw it in theaters, so there was obviously kids in the theater. Yes. Um, and they were having the time of their lives. Okay. Like, you could, a theater, seeing a movie in theaters is a great way to kind of, you could judge the energy of the crowd, you could feel the crowd energy. Mm-hmm. And the children were like vibrating from excitement. <laughs> um now, as a grown man watching this children's movie, I was like, yeah, I, I've seen that before. Yeah, that's a Koopa. Mm-hmm. That's that's Bullet Bill. I remember him. Yeah, that's uh, Donkey Kong's Jewish-coded dad. I don't remember him, but okay, we're doing this. That's uh, that's the that's the GameCube theme on Luigi's phone. There's the GameCube theme. Yep, yep, yeah, I remember that stuff. So if you like being shown stuff you remember... Uh, this is the movie for you. <laughs> Very much so. And, and if you're a child, you'll love it. Yes. And it's fine. I don't really have much to say other than it's fine. For what it's doing, it's fine. Whatever. Um, but yeah, that's my co-host name is actually Lucas Mancini. Welcome to the show. Um, we have a few news items here up front that I wanted to make sure to talk about before we get into the matter of today's episode. First of all, and this is the big this is the biggest thing that we're starting off with because we gotta we gotta get the home fires burning. We gotta we gotta stoke the fever because once again, for however many years in a row it has been, we've been nominated for the Coast's Best of Halifax Awards in the best podcast category. So thank you to everybody who has nominated us for that. 
And now, the real work begins. Now you have to vote for us to win! And you can go to vote.thecoast.ca. Now, this is going to be going on until September 10th, and there's we're doing a bit of the staggered release schedule thing here so whether you're listening on patreon or if you're listening on the free feed you will still have time if you're listening to this around the time this podcast comes out to vote now the thing with voting is that you will need a canadian postal code as in previous years you will have to sign up with an account and that will require a canadian postal code if you're in canada no problem if you're not in canada it gets a little trickier, but Lucas, it can be done. Yeah, I also think it it it, it may be. I don't know this for sure. This is pure speculation. Since it is the best of Halifax awards, they might be testing to see if you actually live in the HRM with your postal code. Yeah. So to be safe, I always say just look up a McDonald's at the HRM. That's your postal code. Yes. So again, September 10th is the last day that you'll be able to vote vote for us. In the arts and culture category, we are under best podcast. So please vote for us. Let us know if you do so we can properly say thank you. And we'd really like to get on the board this year, I think. We're not expecting to necessarily get the gold. We're going to try. We're going to do our best. But even if we got bronze, we would be happy oh, with that. We still get to go to that party. Yes. A big cocktail party. And me and Will, you know we're going to go if we get that bronze, baby. Absolutely. And we've been we've been after this for years. And I believe I said this last year. We have more podcasts behind us than we do in front of us, so this may be one of the final chances for us to actually be voted as one of Halifax's best podcasts. So please do so. Vote.thecoast.ca. You have until September 10th to vote us for best podcast. Um, This is going completely outside of our area, but I wanted to make sure that any listeners that we have that are around the Florida area, specifically Miami, Florida, I found out last week that... Arthur and Friends Make a Musical will be coming to the Miami, Florida area in 2024. That is the stage musical that is put on by John McClay and Brett Ryback. And so if you want to see that, it'll be happening starting January 2024. Sorry, January 12th, 2024 into May from the Actors Playhouse at the Miracle Theater in Coral Gables, Florida. So keep that in mind, Floridians, or maybe if you're close by, Maybe a road trip's in order for early next year. Also, I want to send out a congratulations to a friend of the show and one of our patrons, Peebs, who was recently promoted to the position of co-admin at the Arthur Wiki. The Arthur Wiki is an invaluable source of information for these episodes that we are talking about, and Peebs is a big help for this podcast and for keeping the Arthur fandom going. So congratulations, Peebs. Well-deserved. All right, so before we get into the actual episode today, uh, we don't have any emails, but if you do want to send one in, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com, we were given a little piece of Arthur Lost Media this week. Whoa, and we love Lost Media. Go back and listen to our um, Betamax King interview. Me and Will, it's one of our favorite things. So one of the perks of being a patron of Elwood City Limits. At patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits, you get every Elwood City Limits episode a week early. You get our sister podcasts about PBS Kids and about other cartoons. And you get access to our Discord. And this week in the Discord, we were talking with a few people, but specifically our patron Eddie Castillo came across a videotape that he just so happened to own. 
And it's of a short called Arthur Conquers a Cut. Eddie found that VHS and he uploaded it. It is now on archive.org. Uh, it is also on his YouTube. His YouTube is Ed Boy Blue, And it appears to be not the entire thing. As I remember, Eddie tried to upload the whole thing. It got taken down. So I think he just uploaded the original parts of this. So what this is, and I will describe this first again using the Arthur Wiki. This is the official description of Arthur Conquers a Cut. An educational video about proper first aid steps for treating a cut or scrape from Band-Aid brand adhesive bandages and the National Education's Association Health Information Network, and it was released in association with Johnson & Johnson Consumer Companies. So, you've seen most of this before. It's just the episode Arthur's Knee. However, some key differences. First of all, Arthur's Knee was in the second season of the show, this was released around 2001, so Arthur Conquers a Cut has all of the then-current voice actors circa 2001 playing Arthur, DW, and Brain, which means, yes, Brain is played by that Steven Crowder. Now, what is also different is that the episode progresses as normally, then near the end, there is an additional scene with Arthur, DW, and Mom Reed as Mom is treating Arthur's cut. This, this is an entirely new scene, which, Lucas, you also took a look at as well. It's very clearly in a much different and, I would say, cheaper animation style than the one that they would have been using for regular Season 2. We also get a play-by-play -play of Mom treating the injury. It's clearly meant to be an educational-style video. There's also, at the very end, a Word From Us Kids segment about what you can do as a kid if you have a cut. I just am I'm tickled. That we continue to find stuff like this it reminds me of when we were talking about years ago on the podcast, Arthur's new friend Andy or Mr. Rogers visiting um, the home of Mark Brown. Just all of these VHS only pieces of Arthur ephemera that thankfully people like Eddie Castillo, one of our great patrons, is uploading to the World Wide Web. Yeah, I mean... It may seem silly to the uninitiated to be so excited about a basically PSA that's mostly chopped up from an Arthur episode that already existed, but we're kind of in the business of nostalgia, Will, with this Arthur podcast, um, and there's nothing quite like seeing an advertisement or a PSA, even though it might not be something you would sit down to watch for entertainment, just to kind of see something that you remember from childhood made manifest again. And that's kind of the point behind all this media preservation stuff is, especially in the world of PSAs and commercials, usually these companies that produce them, they were re-taping, as we learned in our Betamax King interview, re-taping over the same tapes they would have taped the originals off of. So a lot of them, if it's not for people who have the VHSs at home, are lost for time. So uh, thank you so much. It's so great that the Elwood City Limits Discord now gets to be a part of history. Absolutely. So again, big thanks to Eddie. If you want to see the, the if you want to be part of discussions like that, which we get into not infrequently. Patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Remember, patrons, the newest episode of our sister series, ECL Origins, is up right now as me and Lucas talk about Reboot, the 90s CGI animated show. We had a great time discussing that, and we will be having part two of ECL Origins coming up later this month. So, yeah, Arthur Conquers a Cut. Wanted to make sure to mention that. It's, it's not much to talk about other than... You know, the few little additions, it's weird and strange in a fun way to see Arthur animated in this 
much, much different style than it usually is. So definitely worth a look if you're on archive.org or on YouTube. But the episode we're talking about today is much more in the Arthur House style of the time as we roll through season 18. We're starting with the case of the girl with the long face. I just wanted to put a reminder here. Uh, there was a bit, bit of confusion about this on the Discord and among a couple of listeners. So remember, with the ordering of the season 18 episodes being a bit more fluid thanks to a wonky release schedule, we are going to be following the order of episodes as they are listed on the Arthur season 18 Wikipedia page. It's not the Arthur wiki, just plain Wikipedia. So if you're wondering what episode we're going to do next or the order we're going in, that's the order. So second episode of season 18, according to that page, is the case of the girl with the long face, which is, at first glance, a Fern episode. Because we start off with Fern and George playing as uh, Inspector Watteau and Bastings in their familiar detective characters as... There has been a criminal in France who has seemingly done all of these almost impossible tasks in some in some cases, such as stealing the painting frames in the Louvre and leaving the paintings behind, replacing the Eiffel Tower with a giant baguette, and also letting all of the animals out of the zoo. But it's you know they only get so far with these crimes and this uh, gentle ribbing of the French culture because Fern. She says to George that she's feeling kind of sad, and she doesn't really want to play uh, anymore. So instead, she just walks home in the rain like the budding little emo that she is. And George wants to figure out why exactly she's so sad. And if she's sad, well, then who is he going to get to solve the crime? Or no, solve the crime. Who, who, who is he going to get to solve the mystery of why Fern is sad? And then the door flings open, and Lucas... This couldn't have been set up better. It's as if they heard our podcast. It's as if they went to the future and realized the very minor problem that we were going to have with this character. And they fixed it. Because mm. behind the door is Buster Baxter, Private Eye. Now, if you don't remember, the previous... And I this was a couple of seasons ago. I'm sorry. I don't remember the exact episode. The previous cameo of Buster as his detective character felt really wrong, I think, to both of us, but to me especially, because he wasn't Buster Baxter Private Eye anymore. He was Buster Baxter Private Detective. And it's like, okay, well, why did they change that? And his, I think his appearance, his appearance was slightly different, too. It was just a really odd and like weirdly minor change. It was just like, well, why bother doing that at all? But not so here. This is Buster Baxter Private Eye as though he stepped out of season one into the Flash style with the proper name, the correct getup, everything. And it's great because it makes him more distinct. You know, this episode really is something that we've been asking for because the show has been kind of rich in detectives. Uh, we went from having one character kind of be, okay, this is going to be the stand-in for what we need a detective episode, and now the show is flush with them. You know, we have That's over right. three, sometimes even Brain is a borderline detective. Um, there's so many. Um, and so this is sort of, the to tur take a turn out of Pulp Fiction, not Pulp Fiction, uh, the movie, Pulp Fiction, the genre. Mm -hmm. uh, the chickens have come home to roost, Will. 
because uh, now we have a team up or sort of a crossover of all of the uh, detective alter egos kind of in one episode. That's right. This almost feels, what is this, a crossover episode? Well, kind of. So I was very excited they got the correct Buster character, and Buster takes the case of why Fern is sad. And a lot of this episode is going through this in a pretty linear order in much the same way as a noir detective story. So uh, Buster interviews George back at his uh, back at his apartment. The episode starts in black and white and with Buster doing a noir voiceover. Now, even in the original appearance of Buster Baxter Private Eye, we were doing these types of tropes, but we didn't have the black and white filter, which is repeated throughout. We go in and out with it. So I appreciated that. That's also a pretty nice touch. Oh, that's um, by yeah. far one of my favorite things about this episode. And and they could have just make it have a black and white filter, but whenever we're kind of in noir vision, um, the entire framing of the episode changes. Whenever it goes back to color, the episode is kind of framed just like how you're used to an Arthur episode being framed, especially in the Flash era, kind of flat and plain, the characters standing up where you would want them to be or where you're used to them, rather. Whenever we're in noir vision in this episode, it's all Dutch angles, almost yes. exclusively, <laughs> um, which is such a great touch. Um, and it's something that really kind of makes this episode feel special amongst all of the detective episodes is this back and forth between whenever Buster is speaking into the tape recorder, we're in noir vision. And whenever kind of the real life comes into play, it totally changes the look and framing of the episode, which is a great detail. And yes, very much speaking in that uh, s typical stilted style, and then whenever he's broken out of it by real life, it go he goes back into normal Buster mode. We start off with George giving Buster the situation, and Buster decides that he's going to essentially tail Fern for a little while, and we see him throughout school kind of following her. Then we get, in they're in class, they're in the same class, obviously. But this gave me pause for a couple of reasons. They're in poetry appreciation class, which is also run by Ratburn. But what really threw me for a loop is whatever Arthur's doing. Arthur's up in front of the class presenting. What was going on here? I must have. I, I I might have missed this. I'm trying to figure I, out. I, I'm so I, focused on Buster talking into his microphone. Uh, his his. Uh, recorder. I don't know what Arthur's doing in poetry appreciation class. So he's got on. He's got on the stereotypical artist beret. He's got on sunglasses, and he's saying Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. <laughs> Maybe he's a really big fan of the GBA platformer game uh, Shanti, uh, and that's what he's writing a poem about. I'm not sure. Just placing that in a in an Arthur episode was so strange. I guess it was meant to be like maybe Buster's detective character is at like a slam poetry event yeah, or something like, a like beat that. Poetry, yeah. And sorry, I think that game is called Shantae. I would not want to <laughs> mischaracterize the uh, legendary platformer for the Game Boy Advance. Yeah. It, well, if this is a reference to something actually in poetry, unfortunately, I'm not that cultured. So one of our listeners will have to tell me. 
Uh, Mr. Ratburn has a good line as Buster is saying his monologue into a tape recorder in class. And that's as he's doing throughout the rest of the episode in this mini tape recorder that his mother uses for journalism purposes. Uh, Mr. Ratburn comes over and says, Buster, no mumbling during class into a tape recorder. (laughs) And we do also see him commiserating with Brain. Brain is Buster's equivalent of the bartender in a typical noir detective story where they kind of snipe back and forth at each other, but the bartender is also the detective's, like, confidant and gets him some information, smoke-on-the-streets style. Uh, But except instead of liquor, obviously, it's ice cream. Another thing here that confused me a little bit, Brain mentions that his mom's ice cream shop has gotten an A from the Ice Cream Authority? What's an Ice Cream Authority? I assume it's, like, um, a Better Business Bureau or, like, a Downtown Business Association. Like, it's a um, a group of ice cream shop advocates. Uh, And it it might be they don't expect children to understand what a health inspector is because I know that the health inspector gives out letter grades. I wonder what that rival ice cream shop, that kind of new... new generation ice cream shop in the last season, what they're getting from the ice cream authority. It, it just, it, 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 it just seems a little strange to me of, as you, as you said, we have the, uh, a general food authority. Do we need to really crack down on ice cream specifically? What's going on with the ice cream in Arthur's world that it needs a separate governing body to be watched over. I don't know, but brain, is at least briefly a suspect that Buster also talks to. And then that leads to him talking to another suspect, which is Muffy, who admits that there was a time recently that she was upset with Fern uh, when Fern came to school wearing a lavender bow in her hair instead of her normal, um, I think it's like off red or something. And Muffy's signature color, as Buster says, is lavender. So they end up having an argument about it, Muffy and Fern, so Buster thinks that this is the reason that Fern is sad, and Muffy offers a collection of bows of many different colors, but she offers this in you know in the detective flashback. She's got this 1920s flapper costume on as she takes Buster around, and she offers him these multicolored bows, and she says, they'd look much better if you weren't in black and white, which, was, which I also thought was a, was a good one. Buster always refers to her as the heiress. Like, as whenever we're in noir vision, his manner of speaking is completely different. It's it's almost like that movie Brick, how even though that mm. movie takes place in modern times, everybody talks like they're in a noir movie. Um, and Buster refers to her as the rich heiress. Um, and before he goes shopping with Muffy, he says, quote, uh, One thing I know about heiresses is talk with her won't come cheap. In this case, uh, to interrogate her, he has to help her with the shopping. Right, which she's uh, not so great at, at least not at this point. Buster and George take the bows over to Ferns, who's acting a little suspicious, but denies that that is the reason why she is sad. So Buster has a bit of a hunch based on something that Ferns said. She's, she said, oh, you're early, before she realized it was Buster and George. So that leads Buster to think that they are, that she's waiting for someone. So they stake out Ferns' place. They stay at a nearby bus stop on a hunch, and a hooded figure goes after her, in the night, or seemingly so, they discover Binky, who in the Watteau universe is Watteau's nemesis, the Grey Dove. 
And Binky says he only wanted to suggest that Fern exercise to get rid of her bad mood, which is why they were both running around. Binky says that he was running from Buster and George out of force of habit. And all through this, we're seeing George being very doubtful of Buster's detective abilities. He keep, he keeps saying that, like, oh, Watto would have found this by now. So George, not much of a noir fan. He's way more into the BBC style of detective uh, methods. And eventually, after tailing her again, and not terribly successfully, they're all about to give up. And then they happen upon Fern again, and she just outright explains. And this is actually leading into the end of the episode. She says that she just gets the blues sometimes. And when she does, it usually passes. She compares it to, like, rain. Eventually, the sun breaks out again. And when she's in one of these... Uh, blue periods, as she calls them. She often gets new ideas for stories, and she has a solution to the mystery that Bastings presented at the beginning of the episode about how to solve those mysteries. So, you know, I wouldn't say that this is, you know, a depression allegory, which I have written in caps in my uh, in my notes. So I don't think it's quite deep enough for that. But I do appreciate a kid's show like Arthur just affirming the fact that sometimes people of any age just feel sad or down for no real reason, but also that these times you don't have to be afraid of them or think that they're strange. They usually pass, and I think that's a pretty good way of looking at it at that age. Yeah, obviously this episode isn't... I I, I don't think it's portraying Fern um, as having clinical depression, which is not what you were saying either. Um, but even people who aren't clinically depressed, just everybody, every regular, everyday folks feel down sometimes for no reason at all. And that's, that's the thing of life, Will. You're up and then you're down. And if it wasn't that way, you couldn't appreciate the times when you're up. And so I agree that I like that there was a daddy, again, to pull a parlance from detective fiction. There was a daddy smoking gun reason for uh, Fern to be sad. She was just having a downer of a day. No, and no, no big, uh, no big reveal as to the, uh, as to what it, what it's going to be, like what's behind it. It's just, it just is what it is. And then everything's basically okay. But at least we got Buster Baxter private eye out of it, and he did at least help get us to the actual conclusion. And now a word from us kids. And now a word from us kids. Speaking of uh, feelings, I guess, Alyssa and her first grade class learn about feelings, and they say nice things to their friends. Uh, you know, they have feelings on flashcards and are given various situations of like, what is the emotion here? So real, real first grade stuff. In fact, a bit younger than we tend to go it's usually third to sometimes even fifth graders we've had on these uh on these and now a word from us kids so this was quite a bit younger but also by third grade i think you have a decent grasp on the idea behind emotions so we had to go a little bit you know around the six-year-old range for this one i don't have much to say about it but i will say some of these kids do drawings of fern and they're pretty good the one thing I have to say about this is one of the emotions they tackle is jealousy. And the example they give is that one student has an iPad and the other student does not have an iPad. 
And I'm pretty sure this is the first branded mention of an iPad ever in an Arthur episode. Yes, I also <laughs> I also noted that, and it was a little strange. Again, as we've start when we started this, we didn't even have cell phones in Arthur, or maybe Muffy did, but it was like a luxury of the rich. And now we're they're adults. They're turning into iPad kids before our eyes. Oh my goodness, you're right. <laughs> I, I wonder, is Arthur going to tackle the iPad kid phenomena? I feel like that's well within, you know, we've had that episode where it was like, get off your dang phones. Um, will, will they kind of evolve with the times? It's, if there's an Arthur episode about podcasts, there's, surely there's an Arthur episode about iPad kids. There, There's still plenty of time. It may happen. Nothing's off the table. You know, if you had asked me if we were going to get Buster Baxter private eye, Correctly noted and in proper attire again, I might have said no. So, truly, there's so much time left. We can never completely rule anything out. Hi, everybody. It's Lucas, your favorite co-host from Elwood City Limits. Um, I want to remind you folks that if you like listening to the podcast, first and foremost, the best way to spread the love is to tell a friend who is interested in Arthur or podcasts or animation or hearing about Nova Scotia for some reason. But there's some other things you could do as well. For instance, you can follow us on social media. Twitter is at ECL Podcast. The Instagram is at Elwood City Limits. My pet project, the Twitch channel, which we do live streams on sometimes, twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits Pod, and we also have a Facebook and Tumblr as well. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's where Will has been diligently uploading all of the episodes if they're not on your podcast listening service of choice. If they aren't on one of those services, let us know. You can reach out to us on social media or via email at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Finally, the Patreon is where you can find all of our paywall content, patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. This gives you access to the Discord, where we have a bustling community, as well as some exclusive videos, audio bonuses, such as commentary for the various Arthur movies and more, as well as some of our additional podcasts for the kids, is where me and Will uh, cover all the PBS shows that aren't Arthur, as well as ECL or Origins, where we really talk about any show from our childhood that we want. Uh, and most importantly, you get early access to every episode of ECL. You get to flex on your friends that you're getting it a week early. You can join for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. And now, back to the show. The Substitute Arthur starts off with a bit of a dream sequence as Buster imagines that, well, he dreams that he's playing a life-size version of what I initially called Schmonopoly before they actually give it a real name. In Arthur, it's called Megalopolis. It's clearly meant to be a takeoff on Monopoly down to, in this dream, they're playing a life-size version, like they're in the VR part of uh, the video game Judgment, and Arthur is the car and Buster is the boot. So... You know, really getting into the monopoly of it all. Arthur in the race car ends up going away. Part of his card that he draws is like, oh, I need to go away. Goodbye. And Buster wakes up very distressed. And then it turns out Arthur is doing that in real life. He's going on a trip for a week. And this causes Buster a great degree of 
dismay to the point where he screams no out of the cold open and into the episode. Uh, I will say, though, Buster answers a question in his dream, and the question is, who wrote Beethoven's Fifth Symphony? And he can't even can't can't even do that. Not even in Buster's dreams can he be of seemingly notable intelligence. One thing I want to say about this, and I, it's it's what I noticed about this episode almost immediately. And maybe I have this fresh on the brain because I was listening, Will, to your top five of season seventeen. And one of the things you mentioned is that there's a new phenomena with the new seasons. A show as long as Arthur, I guess this might have been bound to happen, but we're sort of doing repeats of old plot lines with some of the elements changed around. And this is almost a complete kind of reverse of Buster Baxter went away and then he came back in that it's about Buster learning to deal with Arthur going away for a while uh, instead of Arthur learning to deal with Buster going away for a while. Now, keeping in mind, the original Buster Baster went away arc was a kind of multi-episode splendor, not something yes. we get that often in Arthur, this kind of multi-continuity episode. But also, you know, the stakes were a lot higher because he was going to be gone for a matter of months traveling with his dad, where this sounds like this is like a weekend vacation, <laughs> which begs the question, has Arthur never gone on a family vacation before? I mean, we, we've been there when he has. And we, mm. like, I think of in the first season... Buster was going to camp and Arthur was going on vacation, so they would have to be separated then. But this is, as you said, post-Buster leaving with his dad. So we're going into these waters a little bit. In fact, we get a couple of continuity mentions here. As we begin the episode, Arthur's going on a bird-watching vacation with his Uncle Fred, who is the uncle from Arthur's Perfect Christmas, who we never really see again. Uncle, uncle Fred and uh, his dog Rory. If I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, I was a big fan of Uncle Fred. Yeah, I mean, he, he seemed he seemed pretty cool. I loved Rory too. He was he was a he was a good big boy. Um, we also see Buster take a puff on his puffer, which we haven't really. Buster's asthma is kind of a non-issue now that I think about it. There's not a whole lot of times that I can remember Buster having to take his inhaler after that one episode, and so it so it was it just really like oh yeah he does have asthma. And Arthur, as he's talking about going on this bird watching vacation, and Buster kind of is just like, "Well, why? Like, why bother?" And Arthur says, "Well, you're part of the local birding club, which is in a more recent episode for the birds when Buster joined the local birding society." And so Buster is worried that when Arthur is gone, he will have no, he'll have nobody to communicate with or to pal around with he'll be completely bored so he and arthur try to pack as much as possible into the week before he leaves and by doing this they do uh an activity that i'm very fond of lucas which is doing two things at the same time and only getting half as much from each activity so they double up <laughs> this is and again not to I mean, this is what this show is all about, is when we watch old episodes of Arthur and then apply it to our current moment. But whenever I see videos of Zoomers with, like, two phones in front of them, one of them is playing Subway Surfers and one of them is playing Minecraft, um, and they're doing some third thing uh, in order to maintain the attention span to get, uh, you know, one task done, I'm thinking we're going to be seeing more and more of this as the time goes on. Yeah, it's it, the only way I, w I think it would have been better is if they had been watching a, b a movie and then Buster holds up his phone and goes, boring, ah, movie. 
<laughs> Among the many things they do, go fish in checkers at the same time, knock-knock jokes while doing a slip and slide, reading books while on a Ferris wheel, playing catch while watching TV, and eventually camping outside while having a, a jam session with Arthur's playing a kazoo and Buster's playing his tuba. So eventually they do ever they do all of that. It's time for Arthur to leave. He goes on vacation, and Buster is it's he's a little traumatized, but I think after what we saw in the second season of how Buster's going away affected Arthur. I think it's time that Arthur traumatize him back. Buster even chases after the car like Arthur did in Arthur's Faraway Friend. And I'm just like, yeah, that's what it felt like. (laughs) My my inner child was like, take that. This is how sad I felt, too. As soon as Arthur leaves, Buster imagines the whole world around him is droopy and sad. The houses droop. The streetlight droops. Uh, the, The clown on Jack's joke shop goes from smiling to frowning. Just nothing is nothing is right. Like everything and is wrong. I have to say, I and this is again me referencing our top five lists for the past season. Uh, I think I'm always more kind of with my my critical eye towards the Flash animation, just because I have such an affinity for those first three seasons and how they looked. Um, and something I've really enjoyed thus far with these episodes, first two episodes of season eighteen, is that the Flash animation's at its worst when it just kind of looks like, okay, we have our background screens and we have our kind of uh, virtual puppets and we just place the virtual puppets on the background screens. And both of these episodes have been great examples of using the tools available to them to uh, benefit the show and do really creative things as opposed to making things at the lowest cost or with the easiest, uh, taking the easiest route to make stuff as possible. And what I mean by that is, in the case of the girl with the long face, we have those great, you know, Dutch angles uh, and the great kind of shift in art style from noir world to the real world. And here we have the kind of representation of Buster's mood with the backgrounds. And they had to redraw all of the backgrounds to make them kind of um, uh, almost Salvador Dali-esque. Everything's drippy. Everything is all bent and weird uh, because Buster, too, is sad. Yeah, even down to his, like, bedroom set. And the funny thing is that when Buster... When his mom notices how down he is, she's like, well, why don't you uh, go play with one of your other friends? And Buster says, what am I supposed to do with them? <laughs> which is which is funny because it's just like, yeah, you you have so many other friends. But I also kind of understand it. Like, there are some friends where you don't even have to make a plan. It's just being with them is you, you find something to do. And then with other friends, it's a bit more work. And it just feels like, well, why even bother sometimes? So I get where this is coming from. I still think it was very funny, uh, a way for Buster to somewhat overreact. So the first thing he tries is playing Megalopolis, that board game with Brain. Except with Arthur, Buster has these ridiculous homebrew rules that are impenetrable to people that aren't him and Arthur and brain just gets completely confused you know you have to like make noises at certain times you have to do certain actions when you get to certain parts of the board and this leads brain to checking on his computer his IQ points so when brain throws in the towel with this game he says I think I actually got dumber listening to this then we see then it's a cut he goes up to his computer that has a program that supposedly measures his IQ points, 
And it says that, yes, he has dropped two IQ points. So for as smart as Brain is, he believes in IQ points, which are not real, not a thing. And this was just like, again, there, there was just a, a few things in these two stories that I was like, oh, that's that's really strange. And we just kind of like keep going after that. Uh, I do also want to mention we see a visual cameo outside the Sugar Bowl of Catherine and the boy from the last episode. What was his name? Oh, uh, gee, the boy from... Mm, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm blanking on it too. But the, but that uh, classic teenage kid. Uh, so maybe they're on a date. The next person that Buster goes to is Muffy, who in the Sugar Bowl... He has a bunch of ideas that he wants to try with other people, and Muffy just shoots them all down. Just like, no, no, no. How about we go shopping? And Buster is... He, we see him shopping a bit. He's not really much of much of help, and it's not something he's interested in doing. He also goes over to Francine with this list of things that he wants to do. He, offer, he offers a couple to her, and Francine's like, no, I don't want to do any of that stuff. What's on your, li- what's on your list next? Staring contest? Buster looks down at his list, crosses off staring contest. Also, below staring contest is kick a rock, run in circles, and climb trees. So, again, him and Arthur really don't have to get up to much to get up to a lot. But with Francine, she's not going to want to run in circles and do a staring contest. Buster does offer up a game of his own making called Tree Ball, which he has to create a diagram for. Now... I'll try to represent this as Buster explained it, but he doesn't get through the whole, the entire rules. So tree ball is where there's a player in a tree who tries to knock down juice boxes with a ball. If they miss, they're the pirate, and they have to walk the plank, while the gopher puts on a blindfold and tries to knock down the juice boxes. It's this intentionally impenetrable game that just seems like nonsense to anybody playing uh, anything besides that. And Francine's like, nah, do you want to go play some tennis? And Buster says he's never played tennis before, so he tree, declines. Tree ball, obviously, inspired by Calvin Ball. Um, what is what is, uh, what is Calvin? Can you explain Calvin Ball? I, I, I know it's from Calvin and Hobbes, but for so anybody Cal- who hasn't read it. Yeah, so in Calvin and the Hobbes, in Calvin Ball, it's, it's basically kind of um, like a free verse... Uh, word association rule set for Calvin Ball. So they're essentially making up the rules as they go along. In fact, the way Calvin Ball works is they're kind of trying to outrule each other right. by just coming up with new rules uh, in order to kind of uh, subvert the rules that the other player uh, came up with. I see. Gotcha. So at this point, Buster is so hard up for friends, seemingly, that he's just kind of standing outside Arthur's house, mooning over it, to the point where DW opens the window and says, quit staring at our house. And Buster just asks if he can come in for a few minutes, just to see if he can, I don't know, maybe get some air that Arthur left behind or something. And he tries to play with DW, which is the closest he can get to Arthur. Uh, He tries to play Megalopolis with her, but DW invents new rules for Megalopolis, you know, Buster tries to explain his own rules, and DW's like, I don't want to do that. And in making up her own rules, Buster realizes that he's turning into DW by insisting on his own way every time. We get this quick cutaway of Buster imagining himself declining to play tennis with Francine. 
but he is DW size and he has her hair. So he just like throws down his tennis racket and like, I don't want to do that. And then just yells around, runs around yelling and screaming on the tennis court. Buster with DW's haircut looks like the berries and cream guy from the Skittles ad. I uh, don't know what you're referring to. I'm going to have to look up the berries and cream guy. But I, um, th- I'm i surprised this moment we didn't know about this beforehand. This seems like prime for kind of Arthur memedom. Um, everybody's so into kind of DW's petulance. Uh, seeing Buster go, oh, no, I'm like DW. Um, and then just great comedic timing um with him saying i don't want to play tennis i want to go like this and screaming and running around um really funny moment um and a moment that's like totally funny completely removed from the context of this episode i sent you the picture of the berries and cream guy in the sky oh, yeah let me take a look at this the berries and cream guy this the the berries and cream jingle got popular on tiktok a couple of years ago the berries and oh, cream my berries gosh. and cream i'm a little lad who loves berries and cream from the really old Skittles ad. So that's what Buster kind of looks like to me. And with this, Buster realizes that with his other friends, he's been insisting on his own way too much, that his it, his was the only way that he wanted things to be done. So he tries to meet them halfway and to learn new pastimes that he can do with his other friends. So with Francine, he learns how to play tennis. With Muffy, he learns to with with Muffy it's more that she's looking for fashion advice and so Buster learns to give better fashion advice and then Brain shows him how to actually play the real game of Megalopolis and upon Arthur's return Buster realizes that these are actually even more fun than the stuff that he and Arthur get up to as he says to Arthur like yeah I learned that I learned from DW that I should actually uh try and do things differently and Arthur is just completely dumbstruck just you learned from DW what do you mean you learned from DW and that's how the episode ends with Buster going to teach Arthur how to play tennis and then Arthur just still like what do you mean you learned from DW just can't even understand that well that's it for this one let's go back to the first story in our episode that would be the case of the girl with the long face Looked like it was going to be a fern episode, but it's actually, we got a bit of a double dose this time. It's kind of mostly a Buster episode, Buster and George. Uh, And then we definitely got a Buster episode in the second half. What would you think of uh, The Case of the Girl with the Long Face, Lucas? Uh, The Case of the Girl with the Long Face, you know, when I initially realized it was yet another, I thought it was going to be a um, Fern and George detective episode. I was thinking to myself, oh, you know what? I feel like this whole detective thing's getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, it's maybe getting dangerously close to going the way of dog and baby, but not quite that saturated yet. And then the episode totally surprised me by kind of merging all of the detective universes and also doing a lot more um, tonally to make it feel like a detective story as opposed to usually they just put mustaches on everybody and kind of get them to talk funny, um, maybe dress them in some different costumes. But this episode kind of looks like no other Arthur episode. And not only that, but they keep switching back from the kind of noir vision to what an Arthur episode normally looks like to keep reminding you of that. So for aesthetics alone, I thought it was really enjoyable, but 
Also, I think the writing's really solid in this episode. I have, you know, at the end of the episode, I always pull that one kind of quote to say at the end. Um, Usually it's like between a good two or three. This episode, I have like six lines written from uh, just the case of the girl with the long face because the writing was so strong. And I think that uh, we always say the moral is an important part, not the most important part, but kind of important part of the trifecta of animation writing and then the moral to make a good Arthur episode. And I think the moral in this one really sticks the landing in saying that, you know, it's not always some specific event that's going to make someone sad. Some people just have a down day. And it also doesn't have to be a wholly negative thing because Fern found her down days to be inspiring. So I think this episode, as far as the detective episodes go, might be amongst my favorite and really stuck the landing. What about you, Will? Um, I liked it. I would say that with the... I, I agree with you that I think that the 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 moral or the message of this one is important for kids to hear, and I think they do it quite well. The only thing is that it wasn't really Fern's episode, which I think is a bit of a misstep. I think that the episode before it is is fun. Like it's just that we end up putting the you know it's okay to be sad, and sometimes you know you're sad for no reason, but that's not a bad thing. At, at the very end, and it felt like, oh, I don't know if we built up to that quite as much as I would have liked for us to. But that's, I, I, in the end, that's not such a bad thing. Like, I think the episode is pretty good. Uh, and I'm also very uh, kind towards it because it gave us the return of Buster Baxter Private Eye, and I'm glad to see him back. Uh, it was fun to see all the ways in which they uh, brought that character a bit more to life, probably reintroduced him to... Uh, people who haven't been watching since the first season. So glad they're keeping that alive. It's a good thing to pull out. Um, It's interesting you say that about the detectives. I guess I don't feel that as much in terms of getting up to the line of maybe using them a bit too much. But I think I'll be a little bit more on the lookout for that. But you're right that that is often a way into a Fern and George story these days, or even just a singular story with one or both of them. Um. As as far as far as it goes, I thought this one was pretty fun. As you said, a lot of uh, uh, funny lines and some really like g- good visual humor. The points that I noted in both of these episodes where I kind of like stopped, I was like, "This is weird," but in a way that I thought was endearing. So like Arthur doing the poetry reading or the ice cream authority, uh, yeah, speaks well to um, how out there they're willing to get with this era of Arthur. And the substitute Arthur, I think, is another soft remix, uh, like we've seen of these episodes. So instead of Buster going away, it's Arthur, and we get to see how Buster deals with it here. Now we do have to stretch it a little bit because I don't know B- Buster being like, "I don't know how to talk to my other friends," doesn't really d- jibe with me all the way. But for what we're trying to do, like I get it. Him and Arthur are best friends, and he doesn't communicate quite as well. With the the sync rate for the other friends isn't as high as him and Arthur, so that's fine. Um, I thought it was pretty funny the a lot of the gags that they did and the ways in which Buster failed to connect with other people, and I also think this is this is this is a sneaky good. Like I didn't expect this to be an episode with a message to it. This is kind of sneaky good of like can't always get your way all the time, and it. It's. I think it's something that even adults can fall into sometimes. Not being willing to 
meet people halfway, take interest in their interest, and that's how you deepen friendships. And I think that's a good thing to be able to to be able to say. So yeah, I, I would say I feel similarly about this that I do to the first half of the episode. Like I think I think it's pretty good, and there's some strong things in there. I tend to agree. Um, I will say to truly enjoy this episode, I kind of have to take a step back, take off my Arthur podcast host hat because I'll be enraged by the continuity errors. Like, of course, Buster <laughs> can hang out with his friends without Arthur. He's done it millions of times. <laughs> um, and, of course, Arthur's gone on vacation before. He's done it, like, five times on camera. Uh, and, of course, <laughs> uh, they would have referenced, hey, you know, Buster seemed really fine when he was hanging out with his dad traveling around the world, and he wasn't hanging out with Arthur at all then. In fact, Arthur was worried he was having too much fun. If I take this episode in a vacuum, you know, kind of treat it like an episode of Arthur Guy Dead, sort of an alternate universe that doesn't have to do with the rest of Arthur, um, it is really good. Like you said, the montage of Buster trying to impose all the things he does with Arthur with everybody else is is really funny. Um, kind of building to this kind of ultimate joke, which is him hanging out with DW, which is by far the funniest kind of one of those moments. And that big payoff of Buster as DW, which is not an image that's going to leave my head anytime soon. Um, and I do agree that it's a good moral of Buster, you got to meet people halfway. You can't just insist upon uh, acting like they act like with Arthur. Um, and Buster actually admitting he's learned something from DW, much to Arthur's shock. I think it's a great way to tie up that episode in a nice, neat little bow. So, yeah, both of these episodes together, I think a great start um, to uh, season 18. And I'll also say, again, another thing that I really liked about both these episodes is the visuals, the creativity with the visuals, both yes. in kind of Buster's world becoming droopy in the substitute art um, and the noir vision in the case of the girl with the long face. Well, this is where we are going to begin to wrap up the episode. Now, what I am going to say is hang around here. Lucas... I got a little. I got a little something. I got a little something for you, for you specifically. Whoa! Um, but it'll just have to wait for a second because I totally forgot to do something. I forgot to thank our patrons. Patreon.com/slash Elwood City Limits. Thank you, everybody who supports us over there. Is getting this episode early. Talks to us on the Discord and provides your feedback about the sister series that we have that are Patreon exclusive. So thank you to people such as Leanne S. Shander Lefave Boten. Thank you to William Moore. Thank you to Matt. Thank you, Christine Lescody and Owen. Thank you, Bob Yee and Robert Morrison. Thank you to Baby Show Addict and Emmy the Ghost. Thank you to Eddie Castillo, especially this week. And thank you to Peebs as well. And also want to say thank you to Kaija, Melissa H., to Thunder Yetta, and to the Flying Sparks 32. I do also want to note here, recently, I don't know if any of you listeners would have been privy to this, but there was a little bit of a mix-up with Patreon's uh, billing system. So it could have been that if you were a patron of ours, that your payment may have been declined, and you might not be a patron right now. So if you have a sec, check your Patreon status. If, you st like, if you've uh, canceled your intentionally canceled your Patreon subscription, that's all well and good. 
if it's been canceled and you didn't mean to do that, you might have to re-up your uh, payment type, your credit card. So please make sure you do that and just give a check and make sure that you're still on the Patreon so that I know to read your name. And so thank you to everybody. Patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. As I say, the new ECL Origins is coming later this month where we're going to be talking about, is it Beast Wars or is it Beasties? We're going to find out that and more in our mainframe entertainment two-parter. And also, next time on Elwood City Limits, we're going to be talking about the episodes The Tattletale Frog and DW and Bud's Higher Purpose. Okay, Lucas, at this point, no matter when you're hearing this, Elwood City Limits has celebrated its seventh anniversary, seven years as a podcast we already did the big thank you and everything it's even to each other but there's one thing that i've been waiting on to give to you which is something that i had commissioned about a month ago whoa and so i'm going to send it to you in the skype chat here and you can feel free to save those live lucas reacts folks if you're at home just know i'm soy facing right now i'm going let's take a look here uh oh my goodness gracious look it's me and you that's right. This is a commission that I ordered from their name is uh, Buster underscore Bunny on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr, except the B's are spelled with eights. So eight Uster underscore eight Unny. Um, I commissioned this from them a couple of months ago. And uh, and what I wanted is another thing that we have a couple of versions of these in various art styles. And it's me and Lucas me drawn as an Arthur style aardvark and Lucas as a buster style bunny. We'll be putting these up on the social media so you can see this. But yes, I'm I'm very impressed and thank you Buster underscore bunny for this great commission. Uh, and I, I think I think she they captured both of us pretty well. I especially like the the one the version that where the lines don't quite attach all the way because it's very reminiscent of the original Arthur art style. Great stuff, Will. And so, happy seven years. Happy seven years. That's, of course, you can you can hang on to that, and everybody will be putting that up on socials and on Patreon very, very soon. Uh, so, yes, thank you to everybody. Seven years of Elwood City Limits. Remember to vote for us at vote.thecoast.ca for best podcast. But that'll do it for us for this episode of Elwood City Limits. Thank you so much for listening. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini. If you weren't doing this for free, I'd demand my money back. <laughs> We'll see you next time.